Welcome to the Pure Property Podcast. Whether you are considering buying your first investment property or reaching property mogul status, we dissect the fundamentals through to large-scale property development and everything in between. thing I know about property investment, which disclaimer right up front, ain't a lot, uh, is that there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. And a lot of people get confused and flummoxed or flustered when they think about investing in property. My name's Phil Tarrant. I'm the co-host of the Pure Property Podcast with Paul Glossop. It just reminds me how many P's there are uh, as part of this podcast program. Um, also, across uh, all the different uh, video channels. Uh, welcome. Hope you're well. Uh, thanks for tuning in joining us uh, for the third episode of the Pure Property Podcast with Paul Glossop. And we do this a little bit different on this show and uh, we've been getting some good feedback. Uh, you can go and have a listen to our original discussion and the origin of this podcast about doing things differently uh, in a live environment. Uh, essentially using my skills, if you could say they haven't got any, but um, some would question it. Um, as someone who is comfortable talking about property and a property investor myself, but also um, with the sort of the strength and the weight of the Property Investment Podcast Network, uh, getting together with Paul Glossop from Pure Property Investment. He's the director there and founder. And unpacking people's journey in property in a live, considered way without too much script and dialogue, um, the way it works. And it's evolving uh, every single episode we do this. Uh, I've got a live video of, of uh, Paul having a discussion with one of his clients, and we're going to unpack it on, on the fly. I, I don't know what's in it. I don't know at all um, what they talk about uh, in depth. All I know is some top headline uh, points that I've been given. Um, it's with a guy called Mick. Uh, I don't know if you talk about his last name or not. Um, uh, Mick is 50. And he wants to be retired at 60 and he wants to do it by using property. So this is a pretty common story. I reckon most people, a lot of our listeners, that might be at the, the younger end. If you're investing in your 20s, good luck, well done. Um, You've got a lot more time on your side. Uh, if, you're, if you're looking down the barrel of 50 or, or retirement, uh, you have less time, but you can still get stuff done. So I think this is going to be a story that will resonate uh, with a lot of Australian investors who often um, they get to their mid-40s and start thinking about wealth creation. Uh, better to do it early, but it's not too late. We'll have a chat about that. So Mick's got 10 years to make a few bucks uh, so he can retire, uh, from what I understand, um, and he's doing it inside of his superannuation, also outside of his superannuation. And that's about the extent of the information that I have, and it's very deliberate. Joining me in the studio, Paul Glossop, how are you going? I'm good, mate. I'm good. This is a really interesting one, and I think – if we look at the last 10 years, uh, superannuation and self-managed super fund direct property investment has seen more fluctuation than probably any other way you can invest in property in Australia. Um, you know, we go back five, six, seven years ago and it was pretty easy, pretty available, plenty of lenders out there. Then we went through the uh, the Royal Commission into the, the banking sector, which basically took SMSF property investing off the map for a period of time there. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily through the desire of people wanting to do it, but essentially getting leverage to fund those purchases became nigh on impossible and far too expensive to justify the outcome. 
And now we're coming back into probably more of a middle ground, I think, where there's a few players in there. Rates are reasonably attractive if you know where to look and get the right broker and the right structure and the right accountant and the right advice. Um, but property as a vehicle has remained the same. So ultimately it's been, a, a, I guess, a bit more of a journey for people to figure out how do they get the funds available to actually directly invest in property. Um, but there's some nuances in self-managed super fund property investment which don't apply to personal name or trust structures, which we can dig a little bit d deeper into um, throughout this, but it's it's a really interesting way where it's an alternative strategy. And we talked a lot about certain things such as thresholds of people reaching their maximum amount of borrowing capacity if they're buying in their personal name. Self-managed super is a lever that a lot of people can and do pull once they've actually reached the maximum borrowing capacity in their personal names because of the fact that self-managed super fund being non-recourse lending, typically what it means is that it doesn't necessarily take into consideration your own separate personal name, property debt or portfolio. It takes into account your balance, your income, the time to retirement and a range of other things, mm. which then allows you to potentially borrow or not borrow money. Well, um, I don't want to be a bore, but um, I probably need to because uh, I'm not a licensed superannuation specialist or mm -hmm. SFSF specialist and either are you. Nope. Um, so we'll be very deliberate about not giving any advice whatsoever. And I think we talk about here is, is very general in nature. And I'm sorry I've got to do this disclaimer, so I'm happy to talk about super. But um, uh, to your point, mm. Paul, it's it's it has its own rules and regulations, which for some people are quite sophisticated and you need a proper licensed professional to be helping you out with. Absolutely. This. It be your financial advisor or your your accountant. So do go and get that that proper advice, uh, absolutely. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have a, a chat with you in general terms uh, for the purpose of this uh, conversation, but I do note that uh, in no ways this constitutes advice, but it is difficult. You know, it can be difficult. You know, um, I, I have a, a self-managed super fund, so I'm, I'm happy to talk about my own experience. It's probably an easy way for me not to get into trouble with our friends over at ASIC by yep. saying things. So I, personally, <laughs> I don't have any advice around um, uh, investing in self-managed super fund, but I'm, but I'm happy to sort of say I have a self-managed super fund. I believe I do you too. have a super, yep. self -managed super fund. Which I um, directly invest in property, correct. And and I, I didn't start investing in my super fund because I wasn't able to continue to invest no. in personal name. I, I did it because uh, personally um, I was sick of the returns I was getting <laughs> from from um, uh, from my retail fund. Uh, and I've, I've spoken about this before on the Smart Property Investment Show. Um, so, so I have a super fund, a self-managed super fund, which has shares in it, and I have a self-managed super fund, which has property in it. Uh, I'm happy to report that property performs a lot better than the share portfolio. My share portfolio is appalling. Um, uh, luckily, the performance I have as a stock picker uh, doesn't reflect my performance as a property Ditto. picker. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I do, do hold some some shares and uh, we've spoken about this, I think, recently. Um, and it's interesting purely, that front. Purely to keep me honest and just remind myself that, that I, I do get it wrong sometimes. You genuinely do need to. And I, and I think, I'm trying to remember if it was Charlie Munger or Buffett or one of the, the big wigs in that space, but the, the word diversification gets thrown around a lot, especially with superannuation. And, and to your point about you kind of got to the point where you were sick of the returns you were seeing year in, year out from your super fund. And, you know, you've been working and paying to your super for a good 25 years, I would have mm -hmm. assumed, before you sort of scratched your head and you thought there's got to be a better way. Ultimately, diversification is, is an excuse for anyone who, who ultimately isn't confident in the main way that they make money. And, and there's a lot of, lot of good people who make a lot of money in their own share portfolios and ETFs and all that kind of thing. And that's the way that they want to build their wealth. I, I personally don't have the same confidence and knowledge and expertise in that space. I certainly do have it in property and, and that's where my confidence in property and hence why once I got the balance to where I needed to make a meaningful impact in property, 
that's where I've shoveled the majority of my funds for retirement is because that's the vehicle I know best how to create more wealth out of that than any other vehicle. You've got to back what you're comfortable with. Correct. Um, uh, but in hindsight, the the retail fund that I had did a much better job investing than, in than shares, the shares. Than, 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 <laughs> no than, doubt. Than, than, than Phil Tarrant share <laughs> investor. But I'm sitting there like, and I just sit there, I just I go, I bought all the major banks, I've bought all the big companies on the ASX 200 and all this sort of stuff. And I just sit there just going, like, why is it always red? Like, <laughs> why, why, is it, why is it always red? And they go, oh, well, you know, now, it's, now, now, it's, now it's a war in the Middle East, right? Yeah. Now it's a, fuel prices and yep. stuff, right? Like, yep. oh, that's the reason Did you buy anything in the down. energy sector, Phil? I did buy well in the energy well sector. I bought in the energy sector. I'm in the mining there you sector. Go. Yep. I'm, in, uh, I'm in resources and infrastructure. I'm in defense stocks. I'm in banking stocks. Yep. Sounds like you're all the, I'm in the, techn- co- the base is covered. I'm in technology yeah. stocks. <laughs> but they're still red. I'm everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely everywhere, everywhere and nowhere at once. And uh, <laughs> and I think we probably share some some similar stocks. Hundred percent. I would I'd probably yeah. share similar similar shares that I've got in my super fund. Anyway. Again, to keep me honest. Yeah. So the yeah. point is that um, uh, I do have property myself management funds. I'm, I'm sort of you know uh, comfortable about investing in property, and I feel as though I have um, more decision making power or more control with with property in my self managed super fund than. And stocks and shares because well, yep. I can't really dictate the performance of a company because I'm not an executive and I can't really dictate the performance of the Australian economy because I'm not the prime minister. Yep. Uh, so I'm I'm a passenger, right? Yeah. Absolutely a passenger when yep. it comes to shares. I can probably read up and pick my stocks better, but I'm less of a passenger when it comes to property, and that's probably what resonates with a lot of people using their self-managed super fund to invest property. Now I note, and uh, I was one of those people. Um, uh, lending inside the your, your self-managed super fund got really hard for a period of time, right? Yep. Like all the major lenders left. I think you know you had some big lenders in, like St George, were happy to lend in, inside self-managed super funds. That the the interest rates were largely comparable to to what you're getting in um, uh, debt outside outside of self-managed super. And then it just got crazy, right? All yep. the banks left, and they went, "This ain't good business for us." Even though they're making good coin off it. Um, through regulation and, and, and a lot of the red tape around it, and they come back in. Um, and rates now are comparable. I remember someone we both know, he's a copper, and I went, mate, you've got you've got self-managed super um, properties. Like, what rate are you paying right now? And he went, I was paying this. And I went, mate, do you know you can actually now get about 2% cheaper than that? And he's yeah. like, what? Yeah. You know, it completely changed the, the – um, the trajectory, the, of, the trajectory, of yeah. it and 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 the outcome of it, right? Like you know, it's, which means that, and and let's be clear: if you pay less on your interest rate in the property inside of your self-managed super fund, that means that you're paying less money. That means any contribution you put in goes to adding to your contribution, and any positive return which you can potentially get inside your super fund goes into your back pocket. Absolutely, that's all a good thing. Yeah, which, which means more money for retirement. Yeah, and, and uh, unless the government taxes it, there's some new tax that we don't know about yet. No, which we we'll, won't we'll go no there. doubt. No, because it is it is definitely it's it's a maybe definitely scenario. <laughs> maybe definitely it might change. Yeah, exactly. And that just depends. Pretty much, you've just written yeah. the uh, I guess the 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 the, uh, the the cheat sheet of any any lib or labour uh, person who's going to be coming up for re-election at some mm. stage and ask the question about superannuation. But before we jump into this, Phil, I, I think the other big thing, and, and probably we talked a little bit about why we've both personally directed directly invested in property ourselves um, via our super funds. 
yes, there's a control component. Yes, there's more knowledge and, and therefore with comes knowledge comes the ability to be confident in what the outcome is going to be. But for me, probably above all, it's it's the, the ability to leverage. And for me, and, and we'll hear from Mick when we go into it, that the ability to leverage is it genuinely is the eighth wonder of world when it comes down to that compounding return component, especially in your self-managed super fund or in a super fund. And 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 I guess I'll I'll start or I'll finish my sort of little position here by saying, if you're 20 years to retirement right now, and I'll work through the last 30 years of averages here, but if you're if you're 20 years to retirement, let's say circa age 40, and you want to take a potentially a, an early retirement of age 60, not a full retirement at 65 in the current numbers. Um, and then you are of deemed to be of of essentially drawdown or pension age at that stage, and you've got a quarter of a million dollar combined balance of yourself and your partner. So it might be somewhat typical of a, a working couple who've had a job for the last 20 years, and you're contributing 20 grand a year, let's say as a combined couple. The, the ASX, and if you invest in ASX 200, it's about 7% average annual return compounded over the last 30 years. And let's suggest you get that for the next 20 years. If you put that quarter of a million dollars and it's just essentially in an ETF that takes up the entire ASX 200 and you're reinvesting your 20 grand a year and it's compounding annually, you're getting your 7%. Over the next 20 years, your starting position of a quarter million will work out to be about $1.787 million. In 20 years? In 20 years. Sounds pretty good. Doesn't sound terrible, which, you know, for, for the most part, I'm not going to suggest that's what's going to happen. But if those numbers played out, like mm. I just suggested, that's essentially where the number would end up being. Um, obviously, it doesn't factor in tax, et cetera. However, if you took that $250,000 and you leveraged it at what can be done very comfortably right now at 80%, and that was turned into a million dollars in assets. Now, I'm not suggesting how many or where or what those assets are. That fi extra 50 grand is essentially cover the stamp duty closing costs, 20% deposits. So 200 grand is your 20%. The 50 grand is your all of your closing costs. You've got to leverage. You've got an 800 grand debt. The last... 30 years in the Australian property market, I'll be conservative and say it gives you about a 6% average annual compound of growth return. I'm not factoring in here any yield or cash flow, mind you. So it doesn't talk about cash flow. So again, exactly the same starting position, 20 years, still putting in 20 grand a year. What would you expect if you're getting a starting a million dollars in assets today and you get that 6% average annual compound of growth and you're putting in 20 grand a year? You're putting me on the spot. Um, and, and these are numbers where you start to think, well, I don't know what's 3. possible. 3.625. That's pretty good, Phil. Pretty good. You were, you were not maths in space in year 12 there. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> it's $3.942 oh, million. Dollars. It's pretty that's, good. That's it's not a pretty good. It's, it's not bad. So, so out and of and that. By the way, you saw that live. I absolutely. Just, no, no Chalk here. that one up on the big board, Mr. <laughs> Costanza. Uh, but, but if I'm looking at that, so remembering we've also got an 800 grand debt. So let's assume it was interest only. Let's assume you didn't pay off any debt there. So let's assume worst case scenario. So let's take off 800 grand's worth of debt. That same position then we've got 3.942, so it turns down to $3.142 million. Mm. So going back to those two scenarios, exactly the same over the next 20 years, that is a difference of circa $1.5 million if you got the last 30 years yeah. and played it out for the next 20 so years. double. Almost double your money. Difference. And remember, I didn't factor in any yield there. I also didn't factor in paying down the debt. So positive yield. So you might be contributing to that because, you know, say you got a $1,000 rent, your rent and your mortgage your is 800 more. bucks. Yeah, or, know, or less. Whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. But let's assume that it all washes itself out. Let's assume there's running repairs, maintenance. So okay. I'll assume, to be honest, that, that the yeah, money will come in and go. So all capital growth. All capital growth. You're $1.5 yeah. $1. million better off. And ultimately, 
you saw there that I actually factored in 1% less growth mm. over the next 20 years. The difference is leverage. Mm. And and that is the numbers. But leverage means debt and debt means responsibility and debt means headaches and debt means stress and des- debt means uncertainty and debt means I've got no control. Yep. That's how most people respond to to this notion of That's, leverage. But you, you speak about self-managed super funds, a different sort of borrowing. It, it is. Non-recourse. It, it is. But but I guess when it comes down to it, your responsibility, and you're a good person to speak of this field because you've owned a property in your super fund now for a period of time to know mm. what's what you're responsible to do. The process is somewhat similar to buying a property in your personal name. You have to go through the process of setting up a self-managed super fund. That is a laborious process, let's say, to say the least. Yeah. It takes about two to four months, takes a bit of fa- fair bit of paperwork and a bit of shuffling of everything. Once it's done, though, it's typically done and it's done once. You do have to audit your super fund every year. So typically that's a little bit more paperwork. Again, you don't do it. Your accountant typically does it. They come back to you. It's usually encompassed as part of your annual uh, tax return process. You have to apply for a loan that comes with it, applying for a mortgage that comes with it, more paperwork. You do that once and you have done that to buy a property directly. Once it's done, it's done. You do get your emails, Phil, no doubt. And sometimes they're frequent, sometimes they're infrequent. A question yourself is with your self-managed super property, how much involvement do you have on it annually at the moment? Uh, do you so think? If, if I had to say bundle up all of my properties yeah. into a hundred percent, right? Yeah. And, and how many properties? Just give us a, a rough number of how many, multiple, a dozen? Multiple tens, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the stuff I have in my super fund, yep. in terms of my personal bandwidth Minutes, and connectivity hours, to it, months. as a percentage to be minimal, be yep. between 1% and 2% probably. Okay. I get an email and I go, yeah, okay, fine. So it's fair to say it might be, let's say, half a day's work a year oh, if yeah. you uh, were. Yeah, yeah. You, the compliance around the self-managed super fund is a bit of a headache. Do you um, do that directly yourself? No, no, I do no. it through my accountant. Yeah. But, but my accountant always complains and goes, Phil, we've got to, come on, we've got to sort your compliance out. Can you yep. give me this? This? Yeah. They go, can you give me all this information? And it's information? always late and, there and, and it's always go, after go, the fact. Oh, You're going to get a fine. Gonna, You're late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they always put a thing in saying, oh, you know. Yeah. Oh, to be fair, I'm, I'm a, you know me, I'm a really compliant yeah. You and I person. are pretty similar in the I'm sense you try to very, dot the I's, cross the T's. Very compliant yep. person. I, I like compliance. But um, it, it's... Investing, so the summary would be investing inside of my so and I got commercial property inside yep. of my, which even easier. Yep. Um. Uh. In my self managed super fund is infinitely less problematic than investing outside of my self managed super yep. fund, despite the fact that it's a bit more of a hassle to get in. Yep. So yep. you put put the the hard work in the front end, and it's reasonably relatively stable. And and one of the reasons why is unlike investing in, this is not advice, but unlike investing in, in resi property in uh, in outside of super, inside of your self-managed super fund, there's very little you can do to your property mm. other than maintain yeah, it and yeah. fix it. You can't manufacture Correct. stuff inside it. You can't go, oh, I'm going to do a reno and do no. this. You, you can replace no. stuff and, and yep. this is all the compliance and rules around it where some people find themselves in trouble because they don't get it right. But... Um, you put different types of assets into into your self-managed super fund rather than what you would do outside of your super fund. Very you know, much so. It's I, I don't say property is ever passive, but it's more passive inside of your self-managed super fund because there's less things you can do with it. Exactly. And and I think to your point, there's probably a couple of things just to resonate with is that that same scenario that we just walked through, remembering that was about a $1.5 million difference over 20 years. And that's sort of a big reason why Mick's gone down this pathway. To your point, there is about, I'd, I'd say, let's say comfortably a day, a year's worth of work yeah. in addition to what you would do if you had an industry fund just ticking away and literally running Blind Freddy, not even considering what's happening with it yeah. annually. So that's 20 days a year, uh, sorry, 20 days over the next 
20 years that you're going to put It's not a bad in. return, right? But to, to the point, though, you need to take on debt. You need to take on debt so there is more responsibility. There will certainly be a point in time where something major will come up, which you need to do more with. You need to carry liquidity in your fund to have money to do those major repairs, maintenance, which will play out anyone who's owned property. You know that every 5, 10, 15 years, something major will happen, whether it's a full paint carpet, maybe a remodel of a bathroom, maybe new kitchens, maybe something else that's major that comes up. New roof. New roof. This stuff will happen. It, It invariably will happen, but you intentionally also buy property which mitigates a lot of those things from happening. Mm. And to your point, Phil, is that whilst you can't claim the same negative gearing benefits, depreciation, et cetera, in a super fund, what you intentionally try to do and what we try to do when we're, we're working with clients is that we try to buy properties which we know if we've got a 20-year horizon, let's try to find the best absolute property which is going to give us the smoothest sailing for the next 20 years. And that typically results in, if we're talking residential, it will typically result in a, a single-story brick and tile, concrete slab construction, flat block, three to four bedrooms, two bathrooms, two-car garage, partridge in a pear tree, very, very predictable. Mm-hmm. And we know that, okay, what we see is probably pretty close to what it's going to be in the next 10, 15, 20 years, bar it might be a little bit out of date. And it will might do a fresh paint carpet once or twice in the next 20 yeah. years, keep the yards nice and maintained all the little bits and pieces that come up. Yes, we fix them as they are, but we don't plan on adding any ever extra cash into that property. Yeah, and that's that's sensible. Um, again, that's not advice. Uh, the, the important point you, you made, Paul, around the, um, the the simplicity of the assets you have in, in your self-managed super fund versus outside of super. You know, you're not buying knockdown development sites and stuff because no. you can't, no. right? Um, but one of the reasons why super has been depends what side of the, the fence you sit, over-regulated uh, or under-regulated over the last period of time is that there was a, a flurry of activity probably a decade ago um, where uh, there was a there was, there was was a, a campaign of influence on Australian investors around the benefits of investing in property in your self-managed super fund and there was some people doing stuff which wasn't right for Australian investors. Correct. Um, and, and I'm not going into details, it's well documented, but a lot of people were investing in property under the guise of great ideas around the benefits of doing it and how they're going to become probably millionaires by doing it. Mm. A lot of people found themselves in, in trouble. Mm. Um, so it has traditionally attracted um, unwanted attention from people who sometimes have quite nefarious uh, views of what the benefits are of mm. investing in. So they're out to make a buck on, yep. on, 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 on the backs of Australians that probably shouldn't get it. So so probably in self-managed super was, was regulated in many ways. Um, uh, the type of assets that many people buy in their self-managed super fund is going to be sort of, and, and again, you see it happening is these off-the-plan dual-key stuff, Yeah. Um, which to your point are often well-built properties on slabs of singles, blah, 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 blah. Um, but there's a lot of people also buying that stuff, which can sometimes compromise um, mm. the, the, the investability return on it. But there are still people out there trying to get Australians to invest in their sort of managed super fund oh, and no stuff that they it. probably shouldn't do. There's no it. shortage of you it. You know, at, at one end, at one end, they're 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 sharks. At the other end, they're just probably good good intended people yeah. who probably aren't giving the best advice they possibly can. I, I agree with you, mate. And I think when it and, comes and you down can to speak it, on behalf of that with with Pippa, right? The probably best professionals in Australia. Yeah, correct. And, and and sitting on the board of that for of Pippa for the best part of five years now, you, you do see a lot that comes across our desk as far as complaints, as far as um, people masquerading as as pre- essentially as buyers agents, but in, in, inadvertently they are essentially just, just project glorified developers, yeah. project marketers, etc. 
probably the the biggest resounding point with self-managed super fund investing is you need to treat it exactly as you would if you're buying a property in your own name to make money. That comes down to you're trying to buy a property that's going to grow in value. What's going to grow more often than not is the value of the land will appreciate over time. You notice when I said, I've never said anything brand new or off the plan, I said established. And I also always want it to be in an area that is still somewhat established. I don't want it to be in an area that's going to see a huge amount of greenfield Green opportunities. Stuff. Definitely nothing that's going to be in the, the high rise and, unit and that's, block that's your space, perspective. You know, there are people who, are, who buy that stuff and do well. Completely. Right. I'm, not, I'm not beating that up. By any means, no. but you're saying your particular our, philosophy. That is that is where yeah. it sits for us, and that's our. It's a very similar philosophy when it comes to personal name non SMSF investing. However, the property type typically is probably more modern to to avoid those unexpected and high cost aspects because you simply can't really claim them the same way you can your personal name. If you've yeah. got a cost, yeah, you can repair it, but it doesn't help you from a tax perspective the same way it would in your personal name. Yeah. All yeah. right. There's some good background, Paul. Um. Uh, which is good. And, and again, go and speak to your accountant. Your accountant will help you really understand this. You need a good account when it comes to this stuff because if you set it up wrong, if you're non-compliant, if you do the wrong thing, it'll get picked up in an audit. Um, and, and you also have responsibilities. If you've got money s sitting in your self-managed super fund, um, you can't use that for personal, personal purposes. You need to think of like a custodian, right? You, you are. Know, you, you, can't, you can't touch that it. That is the definition. Um, and and, and that's, that's the way it works. But um, all right, Paul, what we're going to do is um, I'm wrecking this thing here. Hang on. Uh, is that good? Yes. What we're going to do here is we've got the video. You'll see it tuning into this. We'll stop it and we'll interface in. We're going to watch this, this live. This is Paul's conversation with Mick and and uh, I'll, I'll stop it along the way and I'll, I'll do some abridged bits and stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I haven't deliberately watched this so I can give my my own views and opinions or, or, or be curious around it, um, see if we can pick up some good points of, of Mick's journey and property. Uh, here we go, everyone. I guess, firstly, thanks, buddy, for, for no being problem. able to offer your time and um, the insights that you have because um, I think a lot of the listeners who will be tuning into this will realise that Further to our previous podcasts, yeah, a lot of the intention of, of sharing this information is not just giving top line hypothetical data. It's really drilling down into how active property investors have been able to utilize property to be a proper wealth creation vehicle. Um, mm -hmm. What I'm hoping to today from your side of things, Mick, is, is to really probably start on a few different things because your portfolio over the years has definitely evolved and still is evolving and it's gone from buy and hold to granny flat builds to larger scale developments in, in joint ventures with, with other investors, other developers, and you're doing this actively simultaneously. You're not just saying, hey, I evolved from this to this to this. Um, yeah. And then in addition to that, self-managed super has become uh, quite a, a relatively large part of the future planning part of your overall wealth creation. So but probably before I drill into self-managed super fund and property, which I think ideally today we want to drill down into how you've executed on that with us at Pure Property Investment, is probably maybe just to give the listeners a bit of an overview as to probably where you started and, and what your portfolio has evolved into across the board, not necessarily going too deep into the details until we get to self-managed super fund, and then we can go from there. Yeah, sure. So I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. Um, you know, I went through a change in life, as often we do. And, you know, when I become a dad, I realized that I had to plan for the future. I couldn't just keep having fun and buying cars and toys and things like that. <laughs> you know, if something changes inside when you become a dad. So I really knuckled down and um, 
in the beginning, I really knew nothing at all. And it's not that long ago, probably around 2018, read a couple of books, you know, the classic Rich Dad, Poor Dad, went to a bunch of seminars. Um, and I was getting a lot of confusion because there was always the hype, you can retire in a couple of years, but I thought, well, that didn't really make much sense. And then I went to one of your events, um, that was around about that time, yep. and you did a presentation and you, you just kept it very basic and said, well, you can buy a handful of properties, you know, three or four, whatever it is, good assets, sell one down, then the move, move into the retirement phase. And uh, I just thought, well, that just makes perfect sense, you know? Um, I met with you, uh, went to your office, met your team, and I personally liked the way you guys operated. I just had that professional uh, attitude to it. And, and each with each purchase, it's just been streamlined. You present mm -hmm. a deal. Um, I run some numbers in parallel, do a little bit of my own research, and it all checks out, and it's pretty much just things get presented to me and sign the documents, and, and away we go. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure, mate. I appreciate that because I think it's 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 quite common. I mean, yeah, even if if I look at my own personal portfolio building history of you know the best part of 15, 18 years ago when I started building my property portfolio, is it certainly wasn't that different. I think we've gone probably more from an analog to a digital process, whereas you know that those um, hard sales into you know boiler room scenarios where you jump into a room and people present some information and come around with a clipboard to sign your life away. Certainly not something that's um, that I would probably suggest anyone needs to expose themselves to. Now, there's too much information out there where you can hopefully weed out all of those situations before putting yourself at risk. Um, but but I think to your point, mate, is that you, the, there is a scenario where we do have to, as as not only as parents, because a lot of people, you know, essentially go through this process just to, to to really build up their own portfolio to achieve their own objectives. They may not, not ever have kids, but to the point of realizing that money that's fast money buying things and, and essentially transacting on cars holidays and experiences whilst it's still very important in life i think tempering that with saying well how do i actually survive as and when i don't want to work or, or actively earn an income and i think one thing you're very very good at and you have been since we've known each other is you're very good at really being crystal clear with your numbers um you, you essentially don't necessarily just rely on what someone presents to you. you you'll always stress test that against your own numbers and that's important because you know your numbers and if i asked you about any properties that you've bought or that you own you will still be able to even if you can't recall them off the top of your head you'll know that there's an active detailed uh, spreadsheet which will say here's what i bought it for here's the rent here's the tax benefits here's with the current value here's the lvr here's the available equity and i'm not suggesting everyone needs to be in that position but that has certainly helped you make very clear and concise and specific choices and decisions when the pressure's on to say you need to figure out what you uh, is this a yes or no on this property and you know your numbers and you're ready to go um, um uh, i just got to stop there paul um before you get into what his portfolio looks like and two, two key points uh i'll i'll make um one's an inflection point so you've got to be conscious and aware of when this takes place and and harness that and actually do something about it mm -hmm. so like the, the um mixed inflection point was the responsibility of parenthood and and, and he's taking action around a lot of people will go oh yeah i need to change i need to do something different and not do anything different right so Number one, he's actually um, used that opportunity at a moment in time to actually shape and change his future. And that's that's quite 
courageous. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people really struggle with that, don't they? Massively. And we know enough people, you know, both combined and, and everyone would know, probably no doubt more than one person in their life that's on a certain trajectory. And they talk about the, the shoulda or the coulda or the, the woulda. And unfortunately, it's the same It's the same annual conversation about things. I wish I did that or I should have did that back then. But they have, still haven't done anything. And this could be, you know, at the inception of parenthood, it could be 10 years into that. It could be mm. two years before retirement. And unfortunately, the longer you leave it, the worse the outcome is going to be. And, and making that decision financially for Mick um, has been an, an absolute revelation in where his finances are and where they will be. But realizing it and actually taking action is is the biggest step. It's the key thing. And and if you let an inflection point pass you by, make sure you don't let the net one pass yep. you by. And it doesn't need to be significant and life changing as um, you know, having a child, right? No. Which, which is a considerable significant event for for, for most people. Um, it could be anything. Just yep. just 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 listen. Listen to the universe. It'll tell you what you need to be doing. Just yep. do something about it. And it's courageous. Um, that's the first point. The second point is an important one is is taking responsibility for the numbers. You know, a lot of people think that um, that's someone else's job to, to tell them what to do when it comes to wealth creation. It's not your job Massively. as an individual. You know, surround yourself with smarter people than you in areas which, you know, can help you along the way. A buyer's agent, for example. But no one's going to do anything for you. You've got to do it for yourself. Completely. And, and that, that come clear through with that. And and I think that's probably the biggest one that will either make or, or break most people's finances at some stage in their lives is that in, in super is, is a big one. As, as whilst it's an amazing vehicle for most people in Australia and has been since it was started, um, what it doesn't do is it doesn't actually give you active choice most of the time. Almost all people who have a, a, a super fund, an industry super fund, if you ask them their opinion or what's it in, et cetera, they'll have a very benign response to say, I don't know. It, typically I get a letter once a year that tells me how much I got in there. Yeah, yeah. And you might get an update email in the last few years as, as super fund contributions have increased slightly. You might get an information letter from your provider or from your employer to say, oh, you increase, your funds have increased X amount um, because essentially your employer contributions have gone up a little bit. Beyond that, that may be the extent of what they know for their entire working career. And, and for me, that's a travesty. That is an absolute travesty because if your plan throughout your working career is to buy a home, pay it off, and hope that your super is doing something for you, to your point, Phil, those two points, those two major points you've just brought up there haven't been achieved. So what you get is is essentially what someone else has given you. You have no control. Yeah, and people are tuning into this podcast. They're obviously more proactive than, Correct. than most. Um, uh, but the, the point being, there was a lot of people in 2005 – 2006, sitting there thinking, all right, I've done 45 years of hard work contributing to my super fund. I retire on on Monday the 1st of whenever, yeah. uh, um, thinking that you've got this big fat uh, superannuation uh, that's going to pay you off for the next uh, however long you're going to live. And then the next day the GFC happens Bam. and and the value of your assets in your super, I'm generalising here, are halved yeah. and sitting there going, I've got to go back to work. But, but I mean, to that point, if you had, again, going back to, if you had all your money in a, in a, in an EFT that was the ASX 200 at the moment, uh, from my knowledge, you know, from that event at that point in time, the ASX is still only about 10% above its peak in 2008. So to your point, if you chose to essentially let bygones be bygones or what will be will be, mm. you're basically still sitting on the same fund balance then and 
unfortunately, it's affected a lot of people well, and so will happen again. There's a thing called inflation. Yeah, and this is not a stock. I don't know no. enough about stocks and shares to, 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 to talk about. But the point being, do something about it yep. and take responsibility for it. it. It's really simple. But to the point around the, the share market, there's, there's numbers going around that says to have got the growth over that period of time, you needed to be in the market on four specific days. Yeah, and, and if that's you missed to one get of that them, seven-ish percent of the number that I was bandering around here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is not a beat up on sale. No. Buy, buy shares as part of diverse, diversified yeah, portfolio. Yeah. Speak to your financial advisor. They'll tell you what you need to do, but that's not for us to do. All right, we'll go back to the video. Uh, here we go, people. Um, to, to give some, the listeners maybe a little bit more uh, understanding as to what your portfolio has has started with and has evolved to, and I know I've sort of alluded to the fact that you've got some buy and hold assets, development assets, you've bought and mm-hmm. sold other assets. How mm-hmm. has that evolved over the years and, and sort of what have you bought sort of top line property types, locations and, and rationale? So I can run through, excuse me, <clears throat> I can run through some some numbers to mm. get an idea. And what we were, so when I first started out with this journey, I didn't really have a detailed plan, but what you said a moment ago, I'm big on the numbers and that's probably my background in engineering. So I've got a live dashboard, you know, everything costs, income, it all goes in and I've got some lovely graphs and you start to see that and you can see it take shape. And from that you think, well, okay, the plan can change now because now we're at this point, we can do this, we can do this and that's exactly what's happened. So to give you an idea, the first purchase, um, Kalanga, this was in a self-managed super funds. That was the first yep. one for me. So we purchased that for three seventy one. So I had deposit of about eighty thousand dollars. Now we sold that for around about two years, six hundred fifty k. So that's exceptional growth. Um, so to give you an idea, the capital gain. So we're looking at circa two hundred eighty thousand from an investment period, and this is where it's really cool because the cash on cash return is three hundred forty nine percent in two years. Money in, money out, annualized profit. 174%. So they're the real numbers. Mm. Uh, we sold that property. So I got my initial deposit back. I took the profits, <clears throat> some of the profits, and I moved it to a self-wealth platform. Then we went and bought the other commercial property in the Gold Coast. Yep. So that's We're looking at a purchase price of 681000 Interest rates are a bit high at the moment, so it's not doing fantastic. Normally, that would be cash flow positive. But even as it is, we've had some gains and I'm still seeing an annualised profit of close to 10%. But that's a strong message. Yep. And that's on the next purchase. And and yeah. and I guess to to, to just take a quick backward step there is that, that that first strategy for us is that you had your own personal name assets moving in parallel. The intention yeah. of our first, first catch-up and, and where we set that strategy and that clear plan initially was to say, okay, well, we've got a self-managed super fund set up. We've got a certain wedge of cash that we want to get into property at that time. And mm-hmm. that led to that purchase of a, and, and I guess for, for without going through the full specifics of that property for all the listeners, that self-managed super fund property of circa 380K was a pretty simple 600 odd square meter block, single story. It was an older property. It wasn't, it definitely wasn't anything flash, but it was a very predictable asset in an area that was very early stages of capital growth. Cash flow was pretty close to neutral at the time. And ultimately, like you said, but it ended up selling it for mid sixes mm. and taking and taking a very, very substantial amount of money off the table within a, a two-year period of time, circa 350% cash on cash return in two years. For the listener's benefit, you know, normally we wouldn't advocate selling a property in two years' time, but maybe it's worthwhile suggesting why 
you sold that property and what the purpose of the sale was because that's not necessarily something that we'd always be recommending or suggesting. Yeah, I think I uh, looked at it because the interest rates were climbing at that stage and it was going to put it back into a very negative cash flow position. And um, I guess my own data suggested that the market in that area has probably done its job. We didn't see it could do any more. So we just maximised on what we did and then we just moved it to the commercial asset, which is eventually where we're going to be. So, mm, and yeah. the plan is, and what we we're talking about just then, so we, we're going to go again and that's going to be a rinse and repeat of what we did with the first one. So that will put us in a situation where we'll have two commercial assets worth around seven to $800,000, um, generating around about the 50K mark each. So that's set. That's basically that retirement phase. That's going to be thrown back $100,000. Um, we're going to structure down repayment so we reach that 10-year mark when we can retire and ideally have no debt. And there's your passive income. And that's just one stream. Yeah. yeah, correct. And and I think for, for the listeners' benefits, anyone who hasn't necessarily considered self-managed super fund investing directly into property as opposed to REITs or or also you know just letting your superannuation essentially try to mature and build in a in an industry fund when you're buying. All right, I'll stop it there, Paul. So um a lot of big numbers banded around. Mm. I'm a little bit confused. So um Bought a residential property in Kalanga mm-hmm. and also bought one commercial property in the Gold Coast. No, no. no. Tell, so, tell me. so we started with, and, and this probably goes back to, you know, people wonder, well, what are the funds that were needed? So back when we started to build this SMSF portfolio, so the first step was set up the self-managed super fund with the accountant, move the money from... Uh, where it was an industry fund into a, essentially okay, that's, to that's an account. That's r- rolling it over. That's rolling it over, yep. getting the money available, getting the loans available. Bought a, an asset for $371,000. So one property, residential property, um, which was in Kalanga at the time. That was the best part of three years ago now. Um, and we paid $371,000 for that property. Did nothing to it, literally nothing to it. Um, and then the decision was to say, okay, well, that market went ballistic, uh, grew exponentially circa 60, 70, 80% within a two-year period of time. Um, the, the opportunity from there was to say, well, I can't take this money out and use it to buy life, essentially. This is still a superannuation fund. So the decision, and, and based on our regular catch-ups, was, hey, you've probably got the best part of eight or nine years of growth in two years. So you have the choice here. We can just continue to go on this pathway of paying it off. Yep. Or alternatively, the choice could be to say, and, and I guess going back to one of the restrictions, is you can't take the equity out, keep the asset in a super fund. So if we wanted to use that growth, the choice has to be we have to sell the asset, take the profit, and then reinvest that into other assets, which was the so choice. So you can't refinance, take the money, use it somewhere else and keep the asset that's connected exactly, to the debt. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's a very, very big thing to consider is that, yes, the growth was ex- exponential and great. Um, so we went from a three hundred seventy grand property to a $650,000 property. What the decision was is that let's sell the property. $650,000 sold, done. Mm. $280,000 in the kick from the event of the sale after all said and done, that was in his back pocket. So in what the back pocket of his super fund. Back pocket of the super fund yep. minus tax. But the you know, the, there was there are certainly tax advantages. I won't go into them from a super fund perspective that are better than personal name more traditionally. So very, very minimal capital gains tax in that event as well. Um, very tax effective vehicle there. So the ability then is have you got gone from a pool of starting with eighty thousand dollars, two years later you had two hundred and eighty thousand mm. dollars. That was the net effect of this work. And this is his cash on cash return of hundred and seventy four percent annually. So so 
Just explain what cash on cash would do. People are going, oh, what's that mean? Well, I mean, you, you can look at, well, the property grew by 60 to 80% in value, mm. um, but this goes back to the L word, leverage, is that when you say, okay, well, how much cash did I actually inject into that purchase? Well, in his instance there, you put $80,000 in cash, which resulted in $280,000 of actual realized cash. So he cash turned 80K into 280K in two, in two years. years. That's the that, cash that's, on cash that's, return. That's, okay. that's the facts. That's the brass tax of yep. money that left the account to money that came back in within a 24-month period of time. That's that 174% annualized cash on cash return. Mm. So that was the event that he needed to to then take that 280K and now his decision is to redeploy that into more assets. So he's bought one commercial asset, a touch over 600K that we sourced for in him. In the Gold Coast. On the Gold Coast. And then we've actually, I recorded this last week, we've actually since then bought a residential property in Perth, which was circa a touch over 400K, which he's used the balance plus keeping a bit in the fund as liquidity for repairs, maintenance and ASIC regulations as well. So he's turned what he could leverage into one $370,000 asset, now sits as leverage into more than a million dollars in assets, and that's happened in less than three years' time. And and he he used the um, the uh, the language of rinse and repeat. Mm. He's going to be able to rinse and repeat that Kalunga purchase. Well, yeah. and this is this is the big thing, right? If I if I was, I mean, we could wind back and I could show everyone the um, I guess what our expectations are. We certainly don't expect that when we're buying an asset, we're going to see sixty to eighty percent growth in a two year period of time. Now, mm. whilst we're still trying to get above average capital growth. The plan is still the same, is that we review annually with this portfolio, we review the commercial asset, where the rents are, where the value is, the same with this residential property. At some stage, the residential purchase, the commercial purchase that he's made as part of that next phase is no intention of selling that. The intention is to pay that down to get a higher income. The resi purchase that we've made is intentionally there to get a higher capital growth position in a shorter period of time with the potential, but the yield is still going to be about 5.5%, so pretty close to cash flow neutral, not going to be a big burden from a holding cost perspective. If and when we do get above average capital growth in a short to medium period of time, the decision might be to take that profit, do the same thing, sell it, and then maybe redistribute that to another commercial asset whilst taking some of the surplus cash, offset the other commercial asset to increase cash flow and eventually turn that into a passive income generating portfolio as opposed to just the capital growth portfolio. And, and, and Mick has a number of what he wants in retirement. Yeah, he does. And he goes through this, I think, pretty sure in the, in the podcast. But but the reality is he has his numbers. It's not it's not a fictitious, ridiculous amount of money, but he mm. knows what he needs to, to essentially, I think it works out to be about 100, 150. Now, that's not only from this super fund, but it's also from personal investments that he has okay. on the side. All right. Okay. Let's go back uh, to the video. When you're buying direct property through a self-managed super fund, um, more often than not, what you can't do from a loan structure perspective is, is to that that point of that property. You buy for three eighty, it's valued at six fifty. Yeah. You, you know, if this was in your personal name or in a trust, you could potentially go to the bank and say, "Well, I've got this amount of equity. I want to extract it and keep the asset." You can't technically do that in a self managed super fund. So, I guess the way to get out that cash and to redeploy it is essentially to to you have to transact and you have to have the event of a sale. Where the benefit is, though, is there's also additional benefits for the listener's sake in the sense that if we do sell a property in a self-managed super fund, the actual tax benefits, and I know we spoke about this briefly off air, the tax benefits are dramatically greater than what would be if it was in a personal name or a trust. And maybe it's worthwhile you sharing just a little bit on, I guess, what the, the, end up, the, the, the actual net position of the purchase, then the sale, and then the tax actually ended up being. Yeah, sure. So. Um... To put you in the picture, so when we sold that that asset, we bought the commercial property and parked some of the money in, in some shares. And I actually got my tax bill back the other day. 
So we're looking at around about the seventeen thousand. That's there it. you go. Perfect. So, so seventeen grand. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and historically, your maximum uh, tax on an asset in that position is typically around about 10%. Once you minus off your potential other costs that go with that, be it transaction costs, buy costs, sell costs, any soft costs that go with the maintenance of the property, et cetera, you deduct that from your overall profit as well. And the maximum you tend to pay is 10% on that profit. So versus a personal name, uh, yeah, you're typically going to be circa 24, 25%. So the actual tax benefits obviously are also very, very advantageous. Now, yeah. that being said, mate, now we started with 80K and obviously we got that 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 really huge uplift in a very short period of time by that strategic first purchase in the in the Kalanga, North Brisbane market at the time. That's since been sold. The, the cash and bank has been realized. Some of it's been deployed to one asset. We're now looking at, at another strategy to use another wedge of that cash for a separate purchase. Um, happy for you to maybe walk through what the strategy for this next purchase is so we can understand how this is going to continue to build your retirement plan for that self-managed super uh, portfolio. Well, that that is basically, you know, what I mentioned before. We're just going to take that same strategy and apply that. Um, but when I said before that this is always evolving and mm. I never thought that we'd be buying two in the uh, self-managed super fund. I thought just one and that's it, pay it off. But now we're going to go for two. So, I mean, we could be doing the same thing in a few years down the track, going for three. Um, yep. This is where it just compounds and it just starts to grow and grow and grow. So um, that's really the plan. Like I said, I never really had a plan, but once you start this journey, you can see it taking form and you can realise mm. that you can uh, change tact a little bit and, um, yeah, it just starts to take off. So. Absolutely, mate. And, and I guess going back, so again, trying to educate people who are listening and, and maybe not considering, and this isn't just for self-managed super fund purchases either. I think this is where the mindset of, hey, I, you know, we had a conversation probably four or five years ago where this all started and has now evolved to multiple assets and, and different yeah. income streams and some really big gains is that if you're in your personal aim or SMSF, or something even hybrid in between, you may have your mind fixed to say, I can only do this and then I essentially buy this asset and I give it 20 years to mature and I pay it off. Whilst that might still be a very viable scenario, as and when you see growth in assets, so you start to, to really move your mind to thinking, well, what else is possible? And I think that's exactly what you've been doing. We obviously catch up pretty regularly as part of our process to say, well, here's where it is. Here's what can be done. It doesn't mean you need to do it, but it does mean that, you know what, we've actually got more avenues than what you originally had. And what was a, you know, a circa $400,000 asset that we originally purchased turned into a $600,000 asset within a few years now has evolved to well over a million, will, will evolve to well over a million dollars in, in assets, which is also going to have a relatively low LVR and a decent income position and likely to be paid off by retirement. Um, you, you're probably on a trajectory where your your super fund is probably going to be triple, if not quadruple more than what it was probably on track to achieve only five years ago, which is which is pretty amazing. And it's massive. And I've actually gone, I've actually looked back and I've just had my super because I I wasn't really that savvy back then. And I just mm. did most people do, just leave it to somebody else. And you look at the growth charts and it, mm. it's just there. And once you realize what you can do, it is just, it's huge. You know, yeah. I constantly looking at numbers so I can see as it is now in a very conservative 5% growth on the portfolio each year. Um, you know, we're going to be close to that passive income mark by, let's say, 2000, late 2020s to 2030. And that's just as it is now. And that's as the debt is now. But 
considering what we've done, we're just going to keep building and building and building. So that's definitely going to change. Yeah, absolutely. And what's the passive income, Mark, that you're trying to achieve just for listeners' sake of, of what you started with and what we're trying to achieve? Um, I think it's everyone's probably starts with 100K a year, yep. uh, but it's probably closer to, I think we can achieve 150K yep. per year. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm at 50 now and be very confident by 55, 56 around that time, I'll definitely be scaling back on work. And yep. this is why I started this because then you have the time. You have yep. the choices. Um, I'm in a corporate job and I don't do that well in that corporate industry. Yep. You know, always looking over your shoulder. So for me, um, if that happens one day, I get the tap on the shoulder, it's really no big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And and you you're, you're doing exactly what the intention was, you know, five years ago when we did catch up was was hey, we want to create choice and we want to create options and everyone's choice and everyone's options. It is obviously going to be dictated by their own personal circumstances, what income they need to try and replace to actually make that choice. In your instance, you know, if that's five years' time, you're saying, look, I just don't want to put the same hours in in my corporate environment, but I have a choice to make that decision. Um, you still have the family, still have you know, all those commitments from a cash and, and requirements to generate an income. This is genuinely trying to say, well, you can be sensible, earn your income, pay into your super, but build that nest egg far quicker and far more successfully than what it would otherwise be on the track to achieve. Um. Okay, I'll stop it there. Um, lots of good stuff there, Paul. Um, a couple of observations and, and points. No, number one around tax benefits, like speak to your accountant about that. 100%. Sort of You've yep. got to speak to your accountant about that. Um, it, it's it's a lot more complicated than what you think and and, and Mick provided just some of his, uh, his baseline um, uh, you know, outcomes on his own personal tax return is going to be completely different for, for everyone. So... So and do it before you even start thinking about transacting in property. Like transacting property inside of your super fund is very different than doing outside of it. Yes, there is. It's tax is treated differently um, uh, because it is in your retirement um, fund. Uh, however, you've got to get the right advice around it. Now, another point I made, Paul, you make your own luck massively. You know, and and by that, it, it was smart enough to buy the right property at the right time in the right place. And and you said, look, you don't expect. 60% growth on, on stuff, but he's, he's made his own luck by number one, getting started. Number two, well, I'm sure he probably got a better result with someone else, but he's chosen you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, can't help myself. You, you're yeah. right though. But I mean, this is what it comes down to. I mean, the, the, you always see it's a bit of the, the tall poppy syndrome where people say, oh, it must be nice. Uh, ultimately, <laughs> if, if it's meant to be, it's up to me scenario. And then yeah. Mick looked at it. 90% of winning is beginning. It, and this is it to, to <laughs> echo the famous Tom Panos. Yeah. But it's uh, it, it goes back to anything that, that you've achieved in property, Phil, or I've achieved or Mick's achieved or anyone else. It's because they've made a decision to do something and, yeah. and ultimately he would be in the same position that he would be in five years ago if he did nothing. If he did, if he did nothing about it. How, how often does he look at his spreadsheet? Does he sit and play with everyone like, going, oh, if I get this and that? And Every like, time we catch up, there's an updated version of it. That? That. But yeah. Uh, yeah, some people love it um, yeah. and, and they're all over it. And, and I think it does motivate. I actually find, especially the corporate types, it does actually motivate them because they sit there and maybe don't, don't love what they do for a living, yeah. but it gives justification for doing what they do because they're like, okay, I'll keep doing this. I'm going to update this. Or this is when I can exit and this is how much money I'm going to have. So I'll keep working. I'll keep earning that money yeah. and it actually does give a bit of justification but if you don't have it and then you're, aim, you're flying aimlessly that does become a bit more of a challenge yeah and, and you see uh and look we're we're not paig employees no. and, and i haven't been for 
for, for a long time, um, you know, self-employed, um, which which is good and bad, right? Yep. It's, it's good and bad. And I'll, I'll talk about some of the, the good in a moment. But um, uh, I get fatigued with decision-making. Sometimes mm. I just go, I just don't care. Yeah. You know, like, you know, um, and, and the inverse of that is a lot of people that work inside of corporate jobs don't have the bandwidth for um, manoeuvring uh, what they want to do and where, where they want to go on a, on a minute by minute basis, right? Yeah. Like they're confined with their decision making or they have certain parameters around decision making. So they actually get a real kick out of investing in property because it means they, they can become a self-employed business person. Correct. It's their small business. It's their small business. Yep. And, and therefore they probably are much more thorough than, than me and you running their own portfolio. So for me, it's an afterthought. It yeah, absolutely. Horrible, for me, it's an afterthought. It's, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I look at something and go, oh, that's costing me a lot of money. Oh, yeah. I'll get to it another get, time. Get it. <laughs> It'll be right, really. How yeah. much was the mortgage rate? Yeah. Like, oh, it's dude, fine. It'll do. It'll right. do. You know, like, yep. so, so because your bandwidth is spent yep. elsewhere. But for a lot of people, it is the best side hustle you're ever going to get. Absolutely. It's better than selling socks on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Dog muzzles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people go, oh, I've got a side hustle, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, I'm going to create kids' lunch boxes. I'm going to make, no, you're not. Invest in property. Like, yeah. it, is, it is the best side hustle in Australia. Yeah. Drive Uber and, and invest in property. If you want a side hustle, get something that's going to give you money tomorrow yeah. and then use that money and leverage. Put it on your tax return and then show you earn more money. Borrow that money. Yep. There you go. Yeah. Pay tax because yeah. if you're paying tax, it means you're making money. That means banks are happy to, to give you more debt. That's really, really good. So good and bad bits around being PAYG employee. One of the bad bits, and, and Mick alludes to it, it's a really, really important point because a lot of people think it's not going to happen to them, right? If you're in a corporate job, you're going to get to a particular age when businesses start cost-cutting, and I think Mick referred to it as getting a tap on the shoulder, right? Yep. If that, that tap on the shoulder, unfortunately, for Australian business, usually happens in your 50s, right? Yep. Uh, because your 50s is probably your peak earning. Yeah. Your peak earning part of your career is where you're going to make the most money, probably because you've got the most experience and tenure and all this sort of stuff. So, so it's a good time to make money. It's also a tough time for a lot of people in corporate jobs because they work out that someone 20 years, rightfully or wrongly, can do the same job for a lot less money and then you get the proverbial tap on the shoulder, which typically has a nice redundancy yeah. check connected with it. But you might not get the opportunity again to make that money. Yeah. And this is what happens. Um, so you need to be making sure if you're in a corporate role that you're using those times of peak earning to make the right decisions. And probably in your 50s, it's too late. You want to be thinking that way in your 30s yeah. when you're really on that trajectory of driving more cash coming in because your employment isn't guaranteed um, and you never know when you're not going to have the opportunity to generate income. The inverse of that as a self-employed person is that you can get sacked any day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and every day. <laughs> and, and every day. <laughs> so, so you're on a very different cadence, a very different, um, uh, you know, you, you can manufacture money, but you can manufacture money. You've got to yeah. be the manufacturer of that yeah. money. You're not getting a paycheck, right? Yeah. It's good and bad. Like the idea, and, and this is to the point, you know, as a, I guess as a self-employed person, a lot of people's goal about being self-employed is to make yourself redundant. Yeah. And this is the what Mick talks about in a different sort of sense around um, buying time and having options and choice. And for a lot of people, the goal is to make themselves redundant, as in I don't need to work anymore. Yeah, and that that sort of yeah, for a lot of people, that's how they they're happy doing it. Other people like Warren Buffett, who's eighty something years old, he yeah. just keeps working because yeah, the yeah. guy loves doing it. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, but that's his choice. Yep. So, um, use the time you have 
to be decisive in your decision making when it comes to wealth creation is the point. And Mick seems pretty comfortable with that. You, you raise a lot of good points there, Phil. And um, mate, if 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 I'm really trying to influence and incentivize anyone out there, is is if, and I know today is probably more specifically about self managed super here. So let's just stay with that theme and not get too broad with it. But if you are working, first and foremost, some of these thresholds and and Mick, we talked about eighty thousand dollars. What he started with, that's probably a little bit light on, if I'm honest, about where the balance probably needs to be before I would probably suggest considering starting that conversation with a financial advisor and a, an accountant. But don't take my word for it. Ask them Ask them straight away. Some will have a much higher hurdle than, than, than 150, 170 grand. My personal preference is typically when we get to about that price point or that value in a super balance, whether it's individually or combined, is that that's when you actually start to have the meaningful amount of funds available to do yeah, something. Well, the old money was a couple hundred grand, right? Yeah, yeah. and and I, you know, I've worked with plenty of self self managed super fund investors who have maybe 150, 160, 170, and we've been able to buy assets which have improved in value dramatically, and that's where it started. And it's mm -hmm. a very similar story to Mix, where they might have 15, 20, 25 years, but they've had that starting balance and. The beauty, and, and I know that Mick sort of said, look, his initial intention was just to buy one, pay it off, and just you know let bygones be bygones and hopefully make some money aside from that, which has now turned into two assets and maybe will turn into more. It's not a flippant decision. It's not being a greedy property investor and just saying, I'm just going to buy everything and just throw caution to the wind. The thing that we always have to go through is very, very stringent to your point earlier. If he gets a tap on the shoulder, what happens in that super fund is that Super, his super balance as as a payg is is contributed by his salary. Now his salary essentially will be a portion of that goes into his super fund every every paycheck or every time that goes in quarterly. If he doesn't have a job, that money doesn't go in. So you still have to actually be very very specific and critique the investment itself to actually balance the books on its own right. And and it's the same methodology that we go through when we're investing in that property to so, say, well, if you are unemployed and we can't keep contributing funds into this, we're not just going to buy a high growth asset, which is very risky for you. We still need to make sure that the cash flow is still going to cover the vast majority, if not all of the repayment requirements, mm -hmm. because that's still a very, very big consideration for us. Yes, we're trying to buy this property for growth, but cash flow is still very important, regardless of whether mix 50 or someone's 30, or they're about to retire at the age of 60, 65, et cetera. It still is a consideration because the person who's required to pay this, yes, you've got tenants and they will ideally pay for the majority of it. But if you're buying a high growth asset with a 2% yield and speculating on, on continued growth and all of a sudden you don't have that income tomorrow, the choice you're going to have is pretty much going to be very, very reserved. Yeah, and that's that's the de-risking of your self-managed super fund. Correct. Um, and, and, and if you're younger, you've got time on your side. If you're older, um, you might not have the certainty of, of regular employment. Um, so it's really going to come down to what assets, and this is what you're talking about, what assets you put into your, your super fund. And, and this is a very, very general statement, but from a de-risking point of view, if you're chasing passive, passive property, as in, sorry, not passive property, um, a positive um, cash flow property, you probably want it in your super fund, your, your mm. super fund over outside of self-managed super because if you don't have a job, your responsibilities of paying that debt for your super fund um, uh, purchase, it doesn't go away. No. So you need to find that money somewhere. 
Now, if it's positively geared, well, happy days. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a few. I mean, there's a few checks and balances which de-risk it from the outset without the choice, which is typically minimum deposit amounts, minimum LDR yeah. amounts. Um, typically, they need structurally de-risk. Structurally, they, and they need liquidity of certain amounts of the value of the asset. So liquidity, i.e., cash that's still available and can't get touched in a fund. If the if you know hot water heater blows up and your kitchen needs to be repaired and the property's vacant all at the same time, there needs to be a certain amount of money available, and mm-hmm. that goes down to your audits, etc. But if we're talking about the assets, yes, the growth assets with decent cash flow, that's, you know, if I'm talking about universally what types of assets we're looking for, they are the types. Yeah. Okay. Uh, back to the video. Um, for, for anyone who's probably the last question I have then, Mick, for, from my side of things, because I know there's so many different avenues and, and obviously you've got your know, syndicates, you've got developments happening, yep. you've got other things not in the super fund, but I'm not going to go there because it's, it's a Pandora's box and you and I catch up regularly about that and we have completely different conversations. And whilst they're super interesting, you know, they, they do evolve and they are challenging and there's all kinds of other things with funding and, you know, site, you know, fees, all those things. But if I'm talking specifically about self-managed super, and, and again, this isn't advice, it's not recommendations for anyone who's thinking about buying property in a super fund, but we've talked about all the rosy things. There are certainly things that need to be done to buy property directly in your own self-managed super fund specifically around minimum amounts of cash that you'll need to have to typically do so. And then also what the process has been to actually set up a self-managed super fund and some of the challenges. Because I don't want to just paint a picture that is saying, hey, everyone should be doing this because it's the best way to make money because it's certainly not all uh, going to be smooth sailing and straightforward. So maybe from your end, if you wouldn't mind sharing some of the things that people need to be considering and some of the challenges that you faced along the way as well. Sure. I mean, property investing is a hard game and you take some knocks. Um, I had one house that was trashed and the, the the tenants just disappeared. So I had a battle with the insurance company because they weren't going to pay. Um, you need that level of resilience, I guess. You, that's one thing you need. And, you know, with the whole process, personally, I think it comes down to the team. If you've got the right team and the right people, they all bounce off each other. So I've got you, Paul, I've got a good broker, I've got a good account, I can go to those guys and say, hey, I'm not an expert at this, what do I do? No problems, we'll take care of that. So it's getting those, the right people in your team and getting mm. them together. Um, and you need to understand the process as well. So education for anybody that's going to do it because I talk to my friends and family and they're all too nervous to do it because they're just scared But understanding the process and understanding what you're doing. So you're doing things in parallel and say, okay, I understand what's going on now. But for me, the critical part is the team. Yeah, 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 gotcha, mate. So yeah, it's, it's sort of that one plus one equals equals three scenario where it's, 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 it's yeah. And, and that's one thing that you do regularly and very well. If I'm, if I'm assessing a lot of people that I speak to who are would-be property investors or would-be self-managed super fund investors, is self-managed super fund itself, you do need to get your own level of education before you just jump in and just blind, blindly commit to something which you don't really understand. But the right people, be it knowing your accountant as well as your broker very well, who work very well with my team, is that we're all on the same page. We all have your ultimate long-term objective at, at heart and, and in mind when we're trying to set up a strategy, look at property types, they're going to fit that criteria best. 
you get educated along the way and then you enable each one of those people to say, yep, I get it. Go off and do what you need to do. Tell me what I need to sign. I understand what I'm doing, but you go and do what I know needs to be done because I certainly am going to continue to work in my job, which allows me to pay the bills that I'm going to get from you at a point in time. But ultimately, we know that the the juice is worth the squeeze, for lack of a better term. If we say, hey, look, we started this self-managed super fund journey with a circa 80K deposit, leveraged 80% of that into an asset of $380,000, since being sold for $650,000 only two years afterwards, that money's been redeployed into multiple assets. And now you're at the position where you can see the, I guess, the horizon that's going to be far brighter and give you that choice of moving away from potentially work at a point in time earlier than what you would otherwise been on track to achieve. Um, that's the top line aspect. In between that, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of yeah, you know, conversations. And, and and I think one key word that you use, mate, that I think is also a very, very good takeaway for any would-be property investors or property investors who are maybe early in the piece, sort of circa two years to five years as a property investor, is the word resilience um, because it is certainly not a one-way street when it comes down to property investment, doesn't always go your way. And it certainly doesn't always go against you. But the tides typically, and I find too, holding a large property portfolio, I find that the tide shifts and, and sometimes it shifts really quickly. Other times it's really slow and you feel like you can't do anything but win. Other times it feels like you can't do anything but lose. Knowing that your point, leveraging on those people with the experience and saying, Mick, it's okay, this is somewhat normal. I know it's frustrating. I know it's quite costly or alternative saying, hey, we've done really well here, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's make sure we go back to don't propose too much too soon and let's just keep a, a lid on expectations. Keeping that even keel is is a very vital part. And I know you, you've you got a, a very good property investor and landlord mindset where you're mm-hmm. fair to your tenants, you're fair to the outcomes you're trying to achieve. You're not trying to achieve things which are going to be overly risky, but in saying that you're also happy to push the envelope to get what others aren't prepared to do to get those outcomes as well. Yeah, and that's that's a very good point. Like you said, that you know, my tenants are also my clients. You know, mm. this is a business for me. So I treat them well and they look after me. Um, some mm. don't, but that's just the way things are. Um, but yeah, you've got to you've got to treat this as a business and you've got to look after people. You know, it, yep. also treat it, you're helping people as well. You know, you're providing homes. Um, and what you said. Before, like, yeah, it is tough. And right now it's very tough because I look at the portfolio, the cash flow is just not there. But this is where you need to keep pushing through these difficult times because the next one to two years, that's going to swing the other way and it's going to swing back pretty quick. And it's like, wow, look at all this equity. Look at all this cash flow that's now coming at us. So yep. yeah, you've absolutely. got to keep looking at the light, light at the end of the tunnel. Yep. Completely, mate, completely. Well, yeah. look, I... Look, I don't doubt we'll probably catch up and maybe review because there's a few things you're working on the background, more on the development side, in addition to this self-managed super portfolio build, which I think it's going to be probably maybe pretty valuable in the next year or two, us catching up to look at what the outcome of those next steps will be because there's no doubt going to be some pretty big numbers and some big lessons as part of that process. And there already has been, but I think having the ability to share where, for, for instance, setting up a syndicate, buying a development site, funding it, getting to the point of selling, is there any ability to retain? How does that propel to other things? That in itself is going to be a really interesting space. And I think you and I can maybe have a chinwag about that in the sure. next 18 or so months once that's all come to fruition, knowing that that site that you're working on is is pretty close to getting started now. But but I want to say thank you very much for for lending your time and your insights and, and also the outcomes and the lessons you've learned. 
it's certainly not the end of the road. It's probably relatively early stages, but I think the, the listeners are going to be able to take so much from really realising or, or maybe starting to open their mind up to avenues which they may otherwise not be aware of. And probably one last parting thing with that, for anyone who has already built a property portfolio maybe is at the point that they can't fund personal name or trust investments and they think, I've hit a roadblock, I can't build my portfolio any further. Self-managed super fund is also an, an amazing vehicle due to it being non-recourse lending. It actually enables another avenue of property investing irrespective of whether you've met that serviceability wall or not in your personal name. So consider that, consider if it's right for you. The best people to speak to are probably us. They're probably your accountant. They're probably uh, any other financial advisors who specialize in self-managed super fund. Um, because they will then give you the understanding as to minimum amounts you need, what the process looks like, what the costs involved are, and what the risks are as well. Because as we discussed, it's not not necessarily just a one way one way street in that space. But but thanks again, mate. I think we'll um, we'll no doubt catch up sometime in the next twelve to eighteen months to share a bit more of a, an updated story as to where we progress to, and uh, we'll go from there. All right. Um, so before it sounds like you guys have a bit longer of a chat around some other stuff, and we could probably pick that up at some later date and you're rounding out your your super fun discussion there so just um a couple of final points there on that um that dialogue um between yourself paul and i think the point was made around um and we sort of mentioned at the, the front end is this idea of a team right like yeah. if you want to be a proactive investor you can do it all yourself that's cool um if you're investing in a self-managed super fund it's probably a bit less diy than Investing outside of your it super has to fund, be. <laughs> you, know, you, you need an, you need a, a super fund auditor. Yep, um, and you need a good accountant yep. a, as a given. Like you as can buy given. properties by yourself. Yep. It's fine, and you probably need a broker too. If and you honest, probably need yeah. a broker. Yeah, to try and do it direct. You know, to even to find the lenders yep. to do it. Um, so it, it's a lot less DIY, but that's a good thing, right? Mm. Like um, the, the the one variable bit would be a property strategist type. Yep, person or a, a, um, a buyer's agent. Um, I'd, I'd say it's. It's not necessary, but uh, I would say you, you're probably going to have a a more favourable journey if you get your team right. Um, and Mick started with us, funnily enough, like as far as looking at that process is that we, in our original strategy, he explained that, look, I've got this amount of funding and then from that conversation, we had this amount in his, in his super fund from that conversation said, well, look, it's probably worth talking to the accountant to figure out something you can explore there as well as explore in your personal names. And that sort of led to the conversation about setting up an SMSF that then came back to us and thought, well, this is probably one of the levers that you can pull based on your serviceability. Yeah, and what I find the best thing about having a team is that you should get their advice. Um, you got to pay them. That's okay. That's the way it works. If you're not paying your advisors, maybe they're not your advisors. They're getting paid somewhere. They're else. probably getting paid somewhere else. Someone's got to pay the bills, right? Mm -hmm. So people don't do stuff for free. So if you, if you're if you're paying them, um, there's an obligation, uh, in many ways, a legal obligation for them, them to act and operate in your best interest. Um, so that's a good thing. But what a really good team does is it gives you accountability. You know, they, they will hold you accountable. Um, and in many ways, a buyer's agent or, or an accountant, but a buyer's agent or a property strategist is 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 as good as a coach, right? And and that might be the role that they play, where they'll they'll interrogate and they'll question you on your ideas and your assumptions and, and hopefully keep you accountable for what you've told and you want to achieve. And this comes to the point that Mick makes. Um, and he said that my clients, are, what, my, my tenants are my clients. Correct. Now, instantly gives him, he's got that, that small business mindset. Yep. Um, and or business mindset. And if you're in business, you don't try and do everything yourself. 
you know, if you're in business, you use a lawyer to do all your legal contracts. Uh, you use an accountant to do all your financials and lodge your BAS and do all your tax and compliance. Um, you know, if you need HR specialist advice, you'll use a HR person internally or externally. So business people use and have a smart team around them. So Mix obviously embraced this idea uh, around um, um, acting and operating and thinking like a business and, and ensuring that his customers, i.e. his tenants, are happy and content. That's a good thing. Um, he made a point around education, mm. um, and I think that's key. Fortunately now, if you wanted to invest in your Sylvana Super Fund 15 years ago, you would have been going to a seminar somewhere and yep. you would have been signing up something in the back of the room. For sure. For a, for a place in Whoop Whoop that probably never got Pretty um, much guaranteed that was the process. <laughs> and, and, and and guess what? They had someone standing by to help you with the finance. And guess what? They had someone standing by to help you with the furniture. You know, um, fortunately, thankfully, uh, uh, there's a lot more information around investing inside of your super fund. Some of it good, like I'd like to think this podcast. Uh, some of it maybe not so good. So be careful where you choose to get your, your information. Um, but he spoke about resilience. And I think... Um, Resilience is your ability to continue on the path that you're on, irrespective of the things that are served up to you. It's really, really simple. Uh, and education is a great enabler for confidence and creating resilience. Um, if you're unsure, is normally when you're probably less resilient. Yeah. Uh, if you have confidence and certainty uh, in your strategy and how you're going about doing it, that supports a greater aptitude and attitude towards resilience. And that is just being able to get on with it despite the stuff that served up. Yep. Um, stay the course. You need a good strategy and good tactics around it. But the, the, the thing that really resonated with me in that last piece of that dialogue, Paul, was around expectations. I think a lot of property investors have unrealistic expectations. And yep. one of the reasons why is because they invest in education, which often doesn't give realistic expectations of the realities of it. And I've been doing property podcast for quite a long time now and, and I've been very vocal about the realities investing in probably it's not always nice. No. It sucks a lot of the time. Yep. Every now and then you get a nice check and a payday and yeah, yeah. and something goes something goes your way. Most of the time you're dealing with problems. Most of the time you're dealing with headaches. And most of the time things don't go as well as what you thought they would do. So if you go into it with Realistic expectations, again, expectations are going to be led and driven and enhanced through good education. You're going to get a much better outcome in property. There's still a lot of people out there that sell snake oil around property. You know, yep. If you're buying and selling properties, it sucks. Yeah. You know, it's not nothing really nice about it. No. It's all process. Yeah. You know, you Even might, the payday. The payday is not, it's it's an event. It typically doesn't make you feel any better or yeah, worse. You feel happy for a moment. It's an oh, outcome. That's done. And yeah. then you go, what next? Yeah. Right. yeah. And that's, you know? that's, you know, and that's, ultimately where we ended up in this conversation. And it lends itself to resilience. Absolutely. So, right. so, so you know, um, expectation around cash flow. And, and something Mick said, I picked up a couple of times, which I think he probably needs to question a little bit. If you listen to this, Mick, thanks for tuning uh, Thanks for your participation, mate. Um, I think Mick thinks that interest rates are going to go back a long way and mm. therefore his cash position is going to be mm. different moving forward, primarily around his commercial property. I, yeah. I don't think we're going to get back to the days where your commercial property was just rain and gold. No, I think it's going to get back to the normal days, which is yeah. probably slightly above slightly above the odds in the commercial space if we're talking specifically yeah. there. Typically commercial property transacts. I mean, remembering we had pretty much 10 years of nothing as far as movement and commercial property rents mm. slowly, very slowly were increasing either CPI or somewhere in a fixed 1% to 3%, which basically meant they were keeping slightly above whatever the interest rates of the day were, which meant that you were holding property, so you put a little bit in your pocket and it was growing small mm. and that was kind of the expected outcome as well. 
if I'm probably making a comment, and I think I'm, I might have remembered saying this in our first podcast, but for me, property, and this, uh, I say this to my son a fair bit as well, and, and he kind of gets quite quite frazzled every time I say it because it, it shits him these days. We're not use the S word, sorry, and we'll get that off. But in, in property, and I say this in, in a lot of things in life, but um, it's something that the older I get, the more sage I think I, think I get. Um, in property, amazing things are achieved by doing ordinary things for an extraordinary period of time. And for me, that's the word resilience sort of, encapsulated in that one statement. And it kind of rings true in every single facet of property. If you can just stay the course, typically that's doing more than what most people aren't able to do because something goes wrong and they throw the baby out with the bathwater and all of a sudden say, it's just too hard basket, I'm out of this. Stay in the game. Stay in the game and just be comfortable that the tide will move and it will constantly move. But if you're in, that is the job. And once you're in, you've done more than what most people can possibly do. Don't get out. Do everything you can to stay in for as long as you possibly can, as long as the asset is even 60, 70, 80% correct. Mm. It will work its way out. And this is where sort of the philosophy comes in in the property investor. And the fact that you're in, you're doing better than most. Yep. Right. The fact that you're in, you need to stay in, but you need to balance your expectations around the way the the rules of the game work out. Right. Um, If your expectations are to become a property bazillionaire overnight, you're you're yeah. going to be doing some pretty risky stuff, and yeah. guess what? It's probably not going to work. A hundred percent. You know, if, yeah. if your expectations are um, just jumping on jumping on the wagon of six percent compounding uh, compounding annual average growth on property, if that is your expectations, it's not going to always go that way. No. Some years it might get twenty percent. Yep. Some years you might get two percent or negative, right? <laughs> yep. You know, but if 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 you're in it and you have confidence and you're comfortable around your debt levels and your cash flow position, it, it's it's going to be pretty hard to get it wrong Yeah, based on history. Based on history. You know, and everyone always goes, well, there's no way in the world a house, the median value of property in Sydney is going to be $2 million. No. It's, it's a million bucks now. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's just basically reached its previous peak again. And, mm. you know, places like Perth, places like Brisbane, places like Adelaide, they're at their all-time peaks now. And yeah. um, this is only three years after. Can't what go was any further. An apocalyptic, you know, pandemic that was going to melt down everything. And yeah. here we are. So stay the course. Um, yeah. But don't 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 over-risk, you know, be conservative. Be, yeah. be as conservative. You're happy to be conservative. Yeah. Us. And, you know. and just for me, it's, it's it, knowing your numbers before you jump in and having the team around you and being patient. It's it, it's quite a simple patient. outcome. Well, you've, you heard me say that all the time. One of my, all the time. My, my, key, my, my key ways of getting ahead in life is strategic patience. Yeah. It always works out if you do the right stuff. Completely. You don't want to wait. If you made a wrong decision, don't wait around for it trying to fix itself. Get out. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's outside the scope of this. Paul, that was good. I, I think that's a good format. Let's do more of it. Um, and, and it's better, I think, doing it as a synopsis um, and, and uh, breaking down the play rather than doing it live with someone. It's a very, very different, very, yeah. very different way to do it. I like it. I mean, I know we sort of intended to this to be somewhat of a you know semi-sporting analogy when we first kicked this off and we're kind mm-hmm. of watching a replay of a, of a match play out and sort of breaking it down and saying, well, here's what he did at this stage or here's what she did at that point and here's where we could have went differently or here's what they did right, here's what we had to do there to get to this next step. And it's... Hopefully, it gives people a lot more tools in their toolbox to figure out, oh, well, I'll go back and listen to that. So, so to, to critique this as you as the coach, yeah. say, so you're the, you're the business coach and, and, and Mick here is the business person, what, what, what would have you done differently so far? 
Uh, Mick could probably say, I wish I'd started 10 years ago. Yeah, that, that's know. that's obviously a leverage point that could have been done. But to be honest, he probably if we're talking specifically about Superfund, he probably didn't have enough to actually do anything then anyway. So he kind of started when he could have. So mm. he enabled himself when there was the ability to do so. He acted. Um, it, what he's probably done, which is above what most do in that situation, is that he wasn't prepared to say, okay, well, yeah, I've had great growth, but I'll just let it play out, I guess. He's yeah. actively then said, well, the only way for me to essentially have an event and, and splice this into a bigger outcome is to go through the process of selling, which he didn't have to, but he's done. And that's now evolved from a, a $371,000 asset to well over a million dollars in two assets. I wouldn't be surprised if this turns into probably three assets, circa $1.5 million in the next few years without doing anything other than contributing the same way. Where the, the interesting parts will come further down the track is how does he then go through a sell down and then increase cash flow, which is sort of the phase that'll come after the accumulation is done. Because we can't keep buying in the super yeah. fund if he wants to take a 10-year horizon. We've probably got maybe two or three years maximum, I would suggest, to buy anything more. Well, well things also, you, you're capped how quickly, um, last sort of remark, you're, you're capped how quickly you can accumulate property inside of your self-managed super fund with, without tax consequence, right? Mm. Like, you know, if, if you're a self-managed super fund and there's, there's two um, um, trustees as part of that, you, you can only contribute so much every year yep. into your super fund. Correct. So and, and you need a certain amount of money for deposits. So yep. you're, you're, you're structurally you're structurally inhibited from accelerated growth inside of it. It's got to yep. be in lockstep with your ability to, um, to contribute funds, whether it's in, um, your employees' funds or, or um, additional contributions into up to I can't remember the numbers up to 50, voluntary contributions. Oh, I think for uh, a couple, is yeah, fifty-five. I think twenty-seven and a half thousand dollars for a couple. For a couple, uh, yeah, this financial year, yeah, correct. But like there's that. also the ability to contribute up to three hundred thirty thousand dollars per individual. What, as a one-time one event, yeah. one-off as well. Is but tax, there's tax consequences. There is tax consequences to that, correct. So, yeah. And then obviously you need to have that kind of liquidity sitting around that couldn't have otherwise offset your home or yeah. do other things. And that's things a big call. So Massive. Hey, I've got to put that in my super fund. Correct. Once it goes in, it can't come nah. out. And that's it. And right, that's where there's, yeah, there's obviously, yeah. Yeah. So, so realistically, 55 grand a year maximum. Yeah. And then from there, you know, you can only do what you can do. You can only accumulate so fast. And he, in his situation, he's decided to say, well, I haven't got any more cash to buy more. So if I sell this, then I have more cash to buy more that was the decision and again also for, for people who are thinking about wealth creation you, you structurally have to have money in your superannuation yep. there's no excuse around i can't save it for a deposit because i like avo and toast right like <laughs> exactly you know the, the good thing about super you're for you can't touch that dough no. until you hit retirement yeah. age right so there is four savings there Absolutely. And, and if you've been working from a 15 year old, a Kentucky fried chicken into a corporate life, you're going to have money in your super. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just where you choose to deploy it. So on that basis, property, if you're working in a, in a job, it's largely accessible to most. In it your should super be. Fund. Eventually. Yeah. Eventually. It should, definitely when, should when be. You, when you get a little bit older, but 40 or 50 or whatever yep. it is, right? You know, depends yeah. what you do. Anyway, that's not advice. I'm just, just musing. Go and speak to your accountant about that. That's a uh, Paul Glossop from the Pure Property Podcast with Paul Glossop. You needed a P in your last name. That would have been uh, heaps of P iteration. But, but, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, we used podcast instead of, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> we took out investment out of there. We kept it P's. So um, we know that, Chrissy. Is it too late to do anything this year? 
No, maybe we've bought five properties last week in this same space. And I think maybe we're on track. We've gone through a large number of off-market options in the last couple of weeks with my buyer's agent team. I think in the next five or six weeks in particular, we're getting busy. We're ramping right up. It's There's some really good buying opportunities. So long story short, I'm catching up with clients as quick as possible at the moment because there's some really good buying opportunities pending interest rate rise and some mm. some considerations around that. There's a few people who are getting a little bit more spooked, so there might be a little bit more stock on the market in the next two to four months as well. So we're actually seeing this as so a little bit So you started today, time. so I've never spoken to you guys. Yep. And and you got some dough. Yep. Um, whether yep. it's inside or outside of your super fund. Yep. Purepropertyinvestment.com. They can hit inquire now and that'll take them straight to my calendar and they can book in a time either for this week or next week pretty comfortably mm. to then sit down, build out a plan and get started within a matter of days after that. So this might be the inflection point that people were waiting for. I'm hoping so. Yeah. yeah. That's the idea. Well, you know, I can't remember what you said, but 90% of winning is beginning. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You yeah. need to come up with your own little one there. No, I, mate, I steal it. Yeah, Eight, yeah. 89% of winning is beginning. Mate. <laughs> do, do you know uh, what we, we – I don't know. If we, we're talking about Tom Panos. I know Tom pretty well. Um, I was chatting to him this morning around uh, – Around the block auction, and and he had he said something that always like he's, he's good, but he said something like, um, "You you you're dating you date the the story you was date the interest rate, yeah, yeah, you, you, you marry the property, yeah. right? You know, yeah." <laughs> He's got a good little one liner for most very, instances very in property. Very very, anyway, it's not yeah. about him, um, but if you're tuning in, <laughs> Tom, hey, huh? um, that's good. All right, so purepropertyinvestment.com. That's it. That's where you go. So you can actually. Get into your calendar. And get in my calendar immediately. Right. Two clicks away and they're there. Two clicks away from something. Something. Yeah. Or at least from conversation. From which conversation. hopefully leads to you know, an inflection point. Yeah. All right. Good. Uh, thanks, Paul. Thanks for coming in. I uh, hope you enjoyed that, everyone. This is the third episode of the Pure Property Podcast. More of this to come. Um, we'll get some more conversations with, with the people that Paul is working with who are happy to come and have a chat. And I mentioned it beforehand, but Mick, thank you so much for um, um, being so uh, open and, and frank and sharing your journey investing in property. It is important. It's part of that whole education piece. And we spoke about, um, you know, how people will learn from other people's um, um, journey through property. And you've spoken about it being a journey. So thanks for doing that. We'll see you again next time. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned.